Today is Mother's Day. Uh, Mother's Day is uh, celebrated in various cultures around the world. But, but where did our Mother's Day come from? Now, some of you may be familiar with the history. In 1905, Anna Jarvis, who never married or had children, interestingly, started a campaign to recognize mothers, specifically hers. You see, her mother, Anne Reeves Jarvis, died that year, and Anna wanted to honor her. You see, Anne Reeves Jarvis was known for caring for wounded soldiers on both sides during the Civil War. And after the war, she founded what was called the uh, Mother's Friendship Day to bring Confederate and un Union soldiers together with their mothers to foster reconciliation and peace. Think about how smart that was. Who's going to fight when mom's around? So Anna Jarvis, the daughter, wanted to honor her mother's legacy. She started a Mother's Day campaign to honor mothers, in, again, 2005. The first big celebration came three years later, 1908, in her hometown of Grafton, West Virginia. Slowly but surely, the annual celebration spread to more states. Finally, on May 8th, 19, yesterday, May 8th, 1914, President Woodrow Wilson signed an official proclamation making the second Sunday of May, Mother's Day. By the way, Mother's Day is intentionally Mother's Day, that is apostrophe S, a singular possessive. There was a big discussion about that, and they decided on this intentionally. One mother, not all mothers, it's not a time to celebrate all mothers together, but each family honoring their own mother for the sacrifices that she makes. Anna Jarvis actually made a deal with local florists to uh, provide a single white or red carnation uh, to be born, uh, worn by mothers uh, on Mother's Day. A red carnation meant your mother was still living. A white carnation meant she was not. You may also know Anna Jarvis later became quite discouraged, in fact, disgusted with the way Mother's Day became so commercialized with candy and flowers and jewelry and cards and the like. She actually uh, set and embarked on another campaign uh, to have it removed from the calendar. She was unsuccessful. Well, I, for one, uh, think it's a great day, even if it has become somewhat of a hallmark holiday. Here are a few fun facts about Mother's Day. There are, right now, about 50 million moms in the U.S. today, which account for more phone calls made on Mother's Day than any other day. It's estimated there will be over 120 million calls made today, which means you should call your mom <laughs> if you can. Next, Mother's Day is the second highest holiday for selling flowers and plants. Behind? Yeah, I knew you were going to say Valentine's Day. I was surprised too. No. Christmas and Hanukkah together. Almost a third of all flowers sold this year will be sold for Mother's Day. Valentine's Day is actually third with a paltry one quarter of annual flowers sold. Mother's Day is next. You, you need to know this is the busiest day of the year for restaurants. Think about that. 
Now I'm stereotyping here, but mom cooks all year long. On her day, we take her out to eat. We don't even cook for her. 90 million adults, it's estimated, will eat out today, which means we are in no hurry. <laughs> just relax. You'd just be waiting in line anyway. It's estimated that over $24 billion will be spent on this Mother's Day. The most popular gift on this day is simply the greeting card. Over $150 million will be sent at five bucks a pop. That's three quarters of a billion dollars. Finally, the first, this is my favorite. It's my very favorite one. I, I gave all these to give this one. The first sound a child can make in almost any language is ma, which accounts for the name mom. In fact, the word uh, for mom in most languages begins with M. Smart those mothers are. <laughs> Dads, you don't have a chance. Well, it is appropriate, given the place that mothers play in most of our lives, that we honor mothers, and I want to do so today, especially given the fact that the next text in 1 John chapter 5 says something about the sin unto death. It seemed inappropriate for Mother's Day, unless, of course, you're a mother. <laughs> I specifically want to talk about... Uh, moms in three ways. First, by talking about what you can do as moms and, frankly, dads to be godly parents. Not to worry. It is not my intention on this day of all days to beat up moms. Rather, I simply want to encourage you with the massive responsibility, indeed the massive privilege that you have to rear your children and to remind you of some encouraging ways, specifically one encouraging way to do just that. Second, uh, or, or actually five uh, ways. Second, I want to address children, young and old, to honor your parents and to suggest ways. This is the one, the one specific way that we can do that. And third is to address the painful reality that not all mothers are good mothers and not all children are good children. Let's turn, if you have your Bibles, to 2 Timothy. When, when Paul was in prison facing certain execution, he wrote his final letter, the last one that we have anyway, to Timothy, whom he called his son in the faith. Incidentally, 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 9 is the Mother's Day verse. It goes like this, make every effort to come to me soon. I'll throw that in for you. In this letter, I believe we can pick out several principles that transcend time and culture to help us. Now, again, not just moms, but moms and dads to be good and godly parents. The first principle is found in chapter 1, verse 3, and it is this. Here's the principle. Express a heart of thanksgiving for your children. Look at Chapter 1, we'll just read the first three verses. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Here it is. I thank God, whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my 
forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. And you, you must remember where Paul is at this time, in prison, facing certain death. And in those less than favorable circumstances, he writes to his son in the faith, Timothy, to say, I thank God for you. You ever faced less than favorable circumstances? I thank God as I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. Sometimes being a parent, a mom, may feel like prison. (laughs) Timothy, I thank God for you. Our children need to know that we are thankful for them, that we thank God for them. He says further that he, and frankly, by implication, we should pray for them. You see, words are very powerful. We should use them to encourage our children. I thank God for you, and I want you to know that I pray for you. How many many times have we heard stories of mothers and grandmothers on their knees praying aloud for their children by name and the impact that that has had? As God hears them answer those prayers. Second principle. It's found all over the book, and I call it cultivate a habit of encouragement to your children. Be the kind of mom or dad that encourages your children to to greater heights. We are, let's be honest, we're, we're prone to be critical and complaining. Here, I want to encourage us to cultivate a cultivate a habit of encouragement. Be the kind of mom that encourages your your children. Let me read some of these encouragements that Paul gave. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Do not be ashamed to testify about the Lord. What you have heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. That is the gospel. You then, my son, my daughter, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, namely the gospel. This is graduation weekend. Not only ASU, many colleges across the country. What if we, parents, what if we said to them as they crossed the stage to receive their hard-earned diplomas, remember Jesus Christ. As you finally get a job, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A a workman who correctly handles the word of truth. Yes, work hard at the job, but work hard as a workman as you correctly handle the word of truth, continue in what you have learned. Yes, what you learned to earn the diploma, but what you heard in in, in the way of truth. What a way to encourage um, our kids. The list goes on and on. The point is Paul encouraged his son to move forward. And I would even say he had an expectation that Timothy advance, 
notice, in his faith. Encourage them to mature in their faith. And then give them confidence that they can. Again, don't miss it. Paul's words of encouragement involved Timothy's faith. He encouraged him to move forward in his faith to advance the cause of Christ. You say, well, of course, Scott, it is the Bible. But what about us? Well, what about us? What do we value most? We are quick to praise our children for their accomplishments. And listen, well, we should. That's a great hit, son. I'm proud of you, sweetheart. Three A's on your report card. That's great. We should do that. But do we demonstrate a value structure with our words of praise? What do I mean? When was the last time you said to a son or a daughter, saw you listening in church today, good job. I I heard you stayed and cleaned up after a youth event. Keep up the good work. That's fantastic that you invited your friend to church, that that you shared the gospel with your friend. I'm proud of you. Or or how about this? I appreciate how much time you're spending on the field or on the court, but how about spending the same amount of time in the Word of God? Or son, daughter, I want to encourage you to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. If they heard those words, would they fall off the piano stool or trip over the soccer ball? What are we ultimately encouraging our kids to be? Can I encourage us to regularly pull our kids aside and say, more than anything else, I want to encourage you to follow Jesus. If it sounds like I've got something against Little League or piano lessons, I don't. Well, maybe Little League. I played Little League for four very miserable years. (laughs) My dad encouraged me. He thought I liked it. I played because I thought he wanted me to. Four years, and I never got a hit. I connected with the ball one time. It was a line drive to the first baseman. He had to catch her. It would have hit him in the face. But that's what I talked about for like the next several years. I actually hit the ball. I'm not opposed to Little League. I am not opposed to piano lessons. I just agree with Apostle Paul when he wrote these these words in his first letter to Timothy. For physical exercise is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Don't miss that. This life and the life to come. Do we encourage our children to godliness as much as we encourage them to first base? Third, be a herald of warning to your children. In the book of 2 Timothy, we read words like, avoid godless chatter because uh, those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness, son. Flee the evil desires of youth. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments. Read politics because you know they produce quarrels. 
Loving parents who are concerned about their children will be heralds of warning. They will be vitally involved in their children's lives, pointing out potential downfalls. Listen, do not be seduced by the culture of today that tells you that your children deserve their independence. They will as soon as you die. Kids, you need to understand that when your parents speak, they do so not to meddle, well, maybe to meddle a little bit, but because through years of experience, they are wiser than you and they love you. We, we have done a great disservice in this kind of youth culture where we set older people aside as has been and nothing to offer. Nothing could be further from the truth. Now, if we're going to be heralds of warning, then it requires as parents that we walk the talk, that we set an example of faith. That's our fourth principle, set an example of faith. Paul understood this truth. After he told Timothy to have nothing to do with ungodly people, he says, you, however, know all about me, Timothy. He said to Timothy, I can be an example to you. He'll also say, and you know those from, who you, from whom you learn the Scriptures, namely your mother and your grandmother. What he is saying to Timothy is this, you know your parents. They set an example of faith for you. And to us he is saying, he's saying set an example of faith. If your children were like you in faith, would that be good? You see, all parents are teachers. You teach your children. The question is not whether you are a teacher, but what is it that you are teaching with your life? The saying is true, more is actually caught than taught. So we are to express a heart of thanksgiving, cultivate a habit of encouragement, be a herald of warning, set an example of faith, and lastly, we must build on the foundation of Scripture. We see that in chapter 3, verses 14 and following. Look at it. You, however, Timothy, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Go back to chapter 1, mother and grandmother. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We see Timothy's parents, his mother and his grandmother, taught him the truths of Scripture from infancy, infancy literally from, from birth, when he was still a baby in the crib, reading the Bible to him. And, and why do we build on the foundation of Scripture? Three reasons, if you count the fact that it's God's inspired Word without error. First, the Scripture produces life. Notice, Paul said the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 1, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. Listen, listen, the Scripture is the means by which God causes people to be born again. Your children need the Word of God and they need to hear it from you. 
Second reason we use Scripture is that it transforms life. Transforms life. It's profitable. It's useful for teaching, which speaks of doctrines, principles of, of Scripture. Rebuking, which speaks of conviction of sin. For correcting, which carries with the idea of restoring to a right state after sin. And then for training in righteousness, the word training speaks of discipline. The idea is that the person is taught how to apply the principles of Scripture so that he or she may lead a godly life, a holy life. I, I know these are basic thoughts. I don't know about you, but I, I need to hear them often to remember what is important because we can be so sidetracked in this world where success is measured in quantity, where it is often seen as more, the, the more the better. I'm trying to encourage us, remind us, let's pursue quality, spiritual quality. If we're not careful then quantity can infiltrate our ideas of success. The more activities I can be involved in, the better. And before you know it, our children are gone. And I'm saying to us, just make sure when they leave, in addition to being able to hit a triple, I never did, in addition to being able to score a goal, in addition to being able to play Mozart, in addition to being able to swim the breaststroke, that they also know that you thank God for them, that their spiritual growth is most important to you, that you are concerned about their walk in this world, and that they know the Scripture, which is their playbook for life. Let me take just the next few minutes to talk to the kids this morning, both young and, and frankly old. Now, I know what you're thinking. I, I could go to any uh, of the following passages which speaks of the responsibilities of children to parents, and I know that some of you would like me to do that. In the Ten Commandments, honor your father and mother. It's appropriate. Honor your father and mother. In a, in a foreword to a book titled, Five Things to Pray for Your Parents, it's a great little book. My wife introduced it to me just yesterday. In the, in the foreword, Tim Challies writes, A few years ago, I wrote a series of blogs called The Commandment We Forgot. The commandment in question was one pertaining to the whole life of every human being. It was a commandment with application to the home, church, and workplace. A commandment that provides a stable foundation to all of society. Yet it was and is a commandment that is sorely neglected today. It is the fifth of God's Ten Commandments to humanity. Honor your father and mother. It's a commandment. It's a responsibility that we have. He goes on to write, but what is it to honor? Biblically, the word refers to weight or significance. To honor our parents, we are to attach great worth to them and great value to our relationship with them. It is to respect and revere them, to speak well of them, and to treat them with kindness and gentleness, dignity and esteem. Such honor can be expressed in a number of ways. Forgiving our parents, esteeming them publicly and privately, seeking their wisdom, supporting them, and providing for them. As I get older, let me say, supporting them and providing for them again. These are very, very good words. I, I know in this room, we, we, we may not know every parent. 
There is such a thing as absentee parents. And the truth is not every parent may be respectable. But seek to honor them how you can. At the very least, you can pray for them. Five ways that you can pray for your parents. You can pray for their salvation. You can pray for their restoration. You can pray for their health. You can pray for their forgiveness. All kinds of things in that book that I commend to you. Well, I could also go to Paul's letters in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Yep, I could have camped there for a while. Or to Colossians chapter 3, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Could have done that. I could have gone to any number of Proverbs, like Proverbs 6, my son, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Stand for prayer. Kidding. So yes, I say to you, honor your parents. Look for ways to do that and obey your parents. By the way, this honor, honoring your parents has no expiration date. But I would like to go in a bit of a different direction. We are studying the epistles of John, and we will eventually get to 3 John. One of my favorite passages is in 3 John, verses 2 to 4. Now, John is talking about believers, those he considers his children because he's old now. Perhaps he's led them to faith in Christ, or maybe he's discipled them or pastored them or taught them. We'll talk about that in its context when we, when we get there. But he uses a metaphor of father to children, parent to child, that I believe is appropriate for us today, for believing biological parents and children. Look at it with me. 3 John verse 2. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health just as your soul prospers. For I was very glad when brothers came and testified to your truth, that is, how you were walking in truth. Here it is. I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. Again, this is John speaking of younger believers following the truth of Christ. But he uses a metaphor of children. Can we not apply the metaphor to us as parents regarding our children? Children, listen to me. Your believing parents have no greater joy than to know that you are walking in the truth of the gospel, that you are following Christ. Nothing is more important than to know that you are following the truths of the Christian faith through Jesus and his gospel. But even as I say that, pleasing your parents, pleasing your mom on Mother's Day, maybe even being here when you normally aren't, cannot ultimately be the motivation for following Christ. I want to say to you that that will never last. You must know and believe that Jesus is worth it, that he's altogether worthy, that knowing him, following him, and trusting him, believing the truth of the gospel is your greatest treasure. No amount of outside coercion or even desire to please mom is enough. 
You must understand and commit to the gospel for yourself. Having been born physically the first time by her, you must be born spiritually the second time. I'm saying to you, you must be born again into a spiritual family. And for a believing mom or dad, nothing is more important than that. We may not always communicate that. It may seem at times that graduation from high school or, or college seems like the most important thing to us, getting the diploma, getting a great job, making a good living, finding a good spouse, bringing us grandchildren, great stuff. But the most important thing, the thing that will bring parents greatest joy is to know that children, their children, are walking in the truth. Conversely, if knowing our children walk, walking in the truth brings greatest joy, then knowing our children walking away from the truth is our greatest sorrow, our greatest pain. Which brings me to the last thing that I will say on this Mother's Day. I understand that many of you have had great moms and some of you did not, which makes Mother's Day particularly difficult. Can I encourage you to look to your Heavenly Father and and know that He is always good and He always has your best in mind? When, When we cannot look to a flailing, failing parent, we can always look to Him. I also know that some of you wanted to have children, but by infertility or miscarriage, you've never known the joys of child bearing and rearing, making Mother's Day especially difficult. I do not want to minimize your pain or your sorrow. I simply want to agree with you, pray for you, and trust Christ with you, and remind you gently that God knows all things. He knows what is good and He knows what is best. And to this we must cling. Finally, for those of you who have had children walk away, the pain is immeasurable. Again, if the greatest joy is to know our children walk in the truth, the greatest sorrow is to know that they do not. To know that they have walked away. In our study of First John, We got to chapter 2, they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us, but they went out so that it would be shown that they were not, they were, they all are not of us. And maybe when I preached that, you thought of a child. Maybe when we talked about those three tests, the theological, the moral, and the relational tests, you thought of your own son and your own daughter They now deny that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. They're living in a moral lifestyle with no desire to repent. They they have walked away from the church of Jesus Christ. And it causes you great pain and sorrow. I want to say to you that I know, I understand, not just with sympathy, but with empathy. So what do we do? 
the same thing that we have always done, bringing us full circle to our first point. We do what Paul did. We pray. We pray that God, by His Spirit, would cause our lost son or our lost daughter to be born again. We pray that they would, if they are professing believers but not acting like it, we pray that God, by His Spirit, would bring conviction, repentance, and return. If we have a mother or a father who are, have been less than godly, less than respectable, less than honorable, we pray. What else can we do? So I want to end our service today by praying. By praying for wayward, lost children or wayward and lost parents. Those who are walking well, bringing us joy, that they would continue to do so. But those who are not, not living faithfully, having walked away, I want us to pray for them.